Today, I want to talk about an awkward conversation. Sometimes in these awkward conversations, we end up talking in circles, and we mean that in a negative way, but I want to talk about it in a positive way. I think we've all had awkward conversations before. You know those kind of conversations when you see somebody, you're talking to somebody, and they got something right there in their teeth. It's spinach, it's bread, it's a seed, it's something. And actually, when you're looking at them, you're trying to look at them in the eyeballs, but your eyes keep wandering down to that spot. Is that food going to move? Is it going to come as an object and project at me and hit me? You know, you're thinking all these things as you're trying to engage in the conversation. Now, you have been the recipient of those foreign objects, and you have carried those foreign objects uh, with you. Uh, and so none of us like to say, hey, by the way, you know, you need to check this right here because you got food hanging there. you got bread in your teeth or something like that. But how many of us would want somebody close to us us, to have that awkward conversation with us. If you are the person who has the thing in the teeth and you want the other person who's your friend to tell you, raise your hand. That is nearly unanimous, okay? Because you, even though it's an awkward conversation and it needs to be had, you need somebody to care enough about you to have that awkward conversation. Now, we have them all the time. They come up in different ways and sizes. Now, a few weeks ago, I was in the back in the green room about to come out on stage, and Andrew was back there with me. And we had this prayer time, getting ready for it to come out here. And so everyone leaves the room, and he comes up, puts his arm around me, and says, Hey, Mike, uh, your zipper's undone. That would have been an awkward conversation had I come out here with my zipper undone, all right? So it's always good to have a friend who will tell you when your zipper's undone, or you have food in your teeth, or anything like that. Those are those awkward conversations. Sometimes, though, we freeze in those conversations. We need to have awkward conversations about Jesus. And they're awkward not, not because we think Jesus is awkward, because we just don't know how to get there. In fact, that's the number one reason most people don't share their faith. It's not because they don't love the person that they need to share it with, or they don't love Jesus, or they don't really love their own faith, and they really just don't know how to bridge that gap. But we've been talking about it now for several weeks, about what it means to live sin. You've heard us say it for a long time. I want us to say it together out loud. It is showing and sharing Jesus in everyday conversations with everyday people. Keying in on those everyday conversations, it does doesn't have to be something completely awkward. Yes, it's going to be strange because you're going to help guide the conversation in a particular direction, and that can get kind of tough. But we, as followers of Jesus, and this is really an equipping series of messages, by the way, really trying to help equip us all to be better at having these awkward conversations. But we, who are people of Jesus, we need to go to people who need to know Jesus. We just need to remember that. That's just one of the sticky statements that I want you to go home with in this series of messages, is that if I'm a Christ follower, I need to identify people in my life, in my world, that don't know Jesus, that need to know Jesus, and that I, as a follower of Christ, need to go to them to share Jesus with them. So it's it's on me. It's not on them. You say, oh, if they'll come to me and ask me, I'll tell them all day long about Jesus. No, no, no. That's not what Jesus planned was, okay? He told us to go. He told us to say and to speak and to show Jesus, okay? So understand that that's the the role we play. And now here's that another sticky statement that we talked about last week is that every conversation, every conversation can become a Jesus conversation. 
If we focus in and we zero in, now I'm not trying to say force feed something, but we need to understand that of those 27 different conversations, if we're an average person, if we're the average Joe, we're going to have about 27 different conversations in the course of a day that in somewhere in those 27 conversations, there should be one, two or three, four, four or five that I can maybe help steer in the direction of a Jesus conversation. And so really that's what we have been zeroing in on. And again, we use Jesus as our example, Jesus talking about Jesus, Jesus showing Jesus, Jesus. Jesus sharing Jesus. And he did it in John chapter one, when he did it with some blue collar fishermen, he did it in John chapter three, when he did it with Nicodemus, this, this white collar muckety muck leader of the Sanhedrin. And then he did it with an out down and out Samaritan woman who had a reputation. So anywhere in the spectrum, you might want to find somebody in your world. Jesus shows us how to have a conversation with them. Now, are we willing to bridge that gap and to have that awkward conversation? Here's something we need to realize. That, and I, I, I've closed the chapter, closed the book, closed my computer on writing this message Thursday morning. Thursday afternoon, I was reading a journal of a new study that came out that said, just published, or just, the, I just picked up this journal, been on my desk, that 79% of unchurched people would engage in a spiritual conversation if asked. Think about that. That if we are as followers of Jesus, people who know Jesus go to people who don't know Jesus, we are the ones who can turn everyday conversations into Jesus conversations. If we are the ones who have been challenged and charged with that, if we got the spirit of God in us and we got 79, let's just say there's a margin of error of two or 3% in there, that 75%, that's, 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 Three out of every four people will come in contact that is willing to have a Jesus conversation if somebody will just ask them. And that's the awkward part. That's that hard to get over part. And so we want to talk about that today. We're going to demonstrate that today a little bit. But I want us to think about it in, in light of windows, if you will. Windows that we need to pass through. Sometimes they're big windows, sliding door glass windows. Sometimes they're little crevices. Sometimes they're cracks that we got to kind of inch our way in. But these are key windows uh, that we can climb through, walk through to have Jesus conversation. So first of all is that conversation window. And that basically, I know you, you know me, we're talking about everything under the sun, everything that's important, everything that's not important, P&L statements. We're talking about the Razorbacks losing again and again and again. And you know, so how is is it that, that you can go on and, you know, and take that conversation to talking about the Razorbacks losing again uh, to talking about Jesus? Well, here's an idea. You can be on the loser team, the hogs, or you can be with Jesus, the winner. So that's just your conversation tip for the week. Um, no, it, it, it's the hard part is number two, doorway and window, if you will. And it's the transition phrase. How do I go from talking about everyday things talking about Jesus. And you have to look. There's going to be little crevices. There are going to be moments of time that you're going to have this conversation and you're going to have the Spirit of God inside of you. He's going to prompt you and you're going to go, now's the time. And you're going to do all these conversations in your head. You're not going to do it out loud. Now's the time. Now what, what, what I say, what do I do? What, what if I say something wrong? And you're going to have all these spiritual battles going on in your head 
of everything that you could do wrong and everything you could mess up, promise you, if they're not a follower of Jesus, they're bound for a very hot place. You can't mess that up, okay? You can only get them better moving in the right direction. You can only point them in the direction. I mess up all the time. I give wrong scripture passages with wrong verses, and I am constantly messing it up. So that is where we move from the transition into the presentation. Now, I don't want you to think of this as like a a sales pitch. It's not that at all. Please, if that is your modus operandum for sharing Jesus, turn that sucker off. Anybody and everybody will smell that a mile away and walk away and turn away from Jesus. In fact, I don't even like the word presentation. I want it to be a conversation where you're talking about Jesus and the difference that he's made in your life, the difference that he can make in their life, and the difference that what the word of God says. And you're pointing not to a, to a plan, you're pointing to the man. Okay, Jesus. And so think about it like that. A little softer than presentation, but the word's up there. It's a window that we go through. Then there's the invitation. The invitation is where you give that person the opportunity to say yes or no to Jesus. Some will say no. In fact, on an average, you're going to have to share the gospel, the good news about Jesus, about eight times before you will experience a yes. But that's okay. Because you're being faithful to what you're supposed to be faithful to. You do that, let God take care of the rest of the results. If they say yes to Jesus, then the next one, next window, is a rapid response where they become a disciple who makes disciples. You say, who are you going to go share your newfound faith with? But when you think about this, let's back, 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 all the way up. When you think about where are we at? We're having this conversation. How do I turn an everyday conversation into a Jesus conversation? Again, we saw Jesus do it with Nicodemus. We saw Jesus do it with a Samaritan. We saw Jesus do it with some, some fishermen. But what, that's first century stuff, okay? Some, if you're like me, I need very practical, practical, practical examples. Let's bring it to the 21st century. What would it look like if I could turn those everyday conversations? I know they're awkward. I know they're hard. But I know, if if I know you at all, if I know many of you at all, is that you do love Jesus, you do love your faith in Jesus, and you do love the people in your life. But you just don't know how to bridge the gap between getting the love that you have for Jesus and the love you have for the people in your life and marry those two together. But yet you know, you know you can talk about everything else under the sun, but can you turn that everyday conversation into a Jesus conversation? I want us to enter into a story today for a few moments of an experience of one person and the voices inside their head, the conversations in their soul about the need and the calling to share Jesus in everyday conversations. I don't know how to say this. I don't know where to stand. I don't know where to put my feet or where to put my hands. I've got them in my pockets. My fingers are freezing cold. They're wrapped around a ticket stub that's four weeks old. And I don't know how to say this. I think we figured out 
Kate, mind if I sit here? Oh, hey, Jim. No problem, Hale. I'm just going to out of your way. Thanks. Man, it is crowded in here today. I know. It's really hopping. <sighs> you know, I haven't seen you in a while. How have you been? Good. Uh, you know, busy. Always busy, right? But, <laughs> hey, that's better than the alternative. Wouldn't want people to think I didn't have anything to do. <laughs> <laughs> I guess you're right. So, uh, how are Sue and the girls? Uh, good. They're, uh, you know, school started again, so... It seems like every night is either soccer or gymnastics or something like that. Sue's going into the busy time at her work, so busy, but good. How about you? How's you? How are you doing? How's your family? Well, things are all right. I mean, our oldest, Greg, is having a little trouble transitioning into his new school. Hmm. But we're figuring it out. And Mom's getting used to living without Dad around. He uh, passed away last year. Yeah, I, t- I remember that. I'm sorry. That's okay. Thanks. <laughs> Oh, but Rob and I got to go away for a couple of days last month. Oh, that's fun. What'd you do? We didn't do anything. We just rented a cabin in the middle of nowhere and did nothing for days. Oh, it was amazing. That does sound amazing. And a bit terrifying, if I'm honest. <laughs> I don't think I could do it. I definitely know Sue couldn't do that. Why not? Oh, well, I mean, we've got so much going on, and if, if you put me... In a cabin in the middle of nowhere, all I'm going to be thinking about is all the things that I should be doing that are happening with the kids at work, work. I've got this presentation tomorrow. I haven't even started. <laughs> I've got like, Sounds like you really are busy. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's frustrating because I feel like I've been in this job, this position for five years, uh, working my tail off, and I think that all I get in return or rewarded with is more work. Yeah, it's just, it's frustrating. Sounds frustrating. And I'm wondering, is it worth it? I'm starting to, because I'm like, you know what? 
I put all this time and effort into work, providing for my family, and yet I'm not, I don't have time to spend with them, to hang out with them and do stuff. Sounds stressful. It is, but, I mean, that's life, right? So what are you going to do about it? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't know that I can experience quite what you're going through, but I have had to weather some disappointment in my life. I mean, do you mind if I share what gets me through? No, yeah, I'd love to hear it. Any, at this point, I'd take advice on anything. Well, honestly, it's God's love. I mean, I need it daily, hourly sometimes. When I see myself and my work and my family through his eyes, it puts everything in perspective. And everything seems to make sense. Wow, Kate. I got to admit, I never would have pegged you for the religious type. <laughs> well, I don't really think of myself as the religious type. It's, it's just my life. It's just who I am. You know, I believe that God created us to have a perfect relationship with him. You know, I get all tongue-tied, so can I just show you? <laughs> Are you yeah. visual? I'm a visual person. Yeah, so, me too. What do you got? God created us to be in relationship with him. That was his design. But we, you, me, Rob, Sue, we all turned our backs on his ways and decided to try it on our own. It, we broke our relationship with God and, frankly, broke our whole lives. So now we're just walking around in that brokenness trying to fix it. You know, some people try drugs or money some people try good things, I mean, like family and service. But none of those things are going to get us back to God. Um, just so you know, this is, so far is not very encouraging. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not supposed to be. I mean, since the ultimate penalty of this brokenness is death. Hmm. But that's the reality we live in. The good news is that God sent his son Jesus to create a way back to him. He came to this earth and lived a perfect life and died the death that we're supposed to die so that we could live. And then he raised Jesus from the dead to prove his power over death. It sounds a little familiar. I mean, it's been a while since I've been to church, um, if I'm honest. But I don't think I've ever heard it explained quite like this. Well, that's the Bible in a nutshell. Hmm. And God did everything. We don't have to do anything except we need to choose to follow his way, to believe in Jesus. You know, knowing God's love changes everything. I don't have to find my value in my job or through my husband or through friends I have. I know I'm worthy because God loves me. Hmm. You know, and going through, like, not getting promotion or when my father died last year, he walks with me. And helps me make sense of it all. Yeah, you know, I never told you this, but I remember how you handled that. And just the way, like, through the, the illness and then his ultimate passing away, I was really impressed. I mean, I could tell that it affected you deeply, as it would anybody. But it never seemed to overwhelm you. I wouldn't have been able to get through any of that if I didn't have a real relationship with Christ. So what about you? What does your relationship with God look like? <laughs> Me? My relationship with God? Um, estranged? Non-existent? <laughs> <laughs> Broken? Yeah. You're still trying to fix things? I, I'd definitely be in this little circle on your diagram. <laughs> Do you want a relationship with God? Good question. Uh, 
I don't know, Kate, to be honest. I mean, that's fair. What do you think is holding you back? What's holding me back? I don't know. Listen, we're having a pretty open conversation, right? So don't take this the wrong way, but Christians usually strike me as really hypocritical. They say one thing, but they're doing something else. It just doesn't always match up for me. Well, what are some of the big ways you see Christians being hypocritical? Well, there's the big things like the Crusades, um, the Inquisition. But seriously, even today, there's stuff. I see like the way Christians treat the LGBT community. That's not loving. That's not caring. Some of the things I see Christian lobbyists do or honestly, the church scandals. I mean, that stuff's disgusting. It's not love. You're right. It's not. And as a Christian, that really, really troubles me. Me too. Jim, I'm sorry if you've ever had a Christian behave hatefully towards you. I don't think I've ever had one behave that terrible towards me personally, but I've seen it happen to other people for sure. Yeah, but do you think the people who are doing those things are actually living the way Christ teaches us to live? No, I mean, I think that's just it. And like I said, it's been a while since I've been to church, but I always thought Jesus was about love. Well, he is. And I mean, I can't make any excuses for the things that those people do. I mean, it's, they've done terrible things, but I would just hate for you to miss out on Jesus's love for you because of what they've done. Yeah, I get it. That makes sense. Maybe it's something else that keeps me, I mean, if I'm honest, I can't imagine what my friends and my family would think if I all of a sudden, all of a sudden got Jesus well, I don't know. I mean, maybe Rob and I can have you and Sue over for dinner sometime, and we can talk about it some more. Or we have a bunch of people come over once a week to talk about God in our lives. You're welcome to come if you want to. Do you think we could work something out? Yeah, you know, this has been a good conversation. It's been interesting. I'd love for Sue to jump in on it. So I'll talk to her, and we'll set something up. Perfect. I'll talk to Rob and give you a call. Cool. Thanks for sharing. Sure. Hey, that presentation you've got to work on. No, man. Let me show you. Is there anything else in there I can help you with? So, maybe not your exact circumstance. Maybe not in the cafeteria, in the in the corporate home offices, or something like that. Maybe yours will be in a coffee shop. Maybe it'll be any number of places. It'll be at a bar. It'll be anywhere that you live, work, learn, or play. And maybe the stories aren't exactly the same. So you can easily go into critique mode and say, yeah, but that's not how it works out for me. I get it. Showing you an example of what it could look like just gives us maybe some handles on how to work at this. Because if we understand anything about our faith, we need to go out of here today and every day from this day forward, believing and knowing this, that our faith is a confessional faith. It is not a private matter between us and God. You'll even hear people say that. They'll say, oh, that's between you and God. and You you do your thing, I do my thing. And that may be how they want to handle that, but that's not how at all Jesus set it up. In Luke chapter 12, be finding it. In Luke chapter 12, in verse 8, he gives us kind of 
quite clear what our faith is supposed to be. It's a confessional faith. It's something that we live out. We don't hide behind or hide from it even, and for all that matter. So here's what it says in verse 8. It says, I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man will acknowledge before the angels of God. So there's this built-in faith thing that it is not something we keep in a, in a shelf or we keep to ourselves. I was in a Hindu uh, home recently or a couple of months ago, and uh, they practiced their Hinduism, and they went over to the cupboard, and they opened their cupboard, and behind the cupboard was all of their deities that they pray to. And they talked about how they pray to them and all that kind of stuff. Listen, our faith is not to be in a cupboard locked away in our homes. It's to be in our life and lived out in front of people. Okay. It is something that we acknowledge in front of men because the opposite of that is, but the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And they go, okay, all right, Mike, I'm, I'm ready. Uh, let's talk about this whole confession. How do I go out? How do I live my faith? How do I share my faith? Because if you're like me, again, you're going to stumble and stutter on the words. Well, here's your verse. If you don't have any verse to memorize this week, it's Luke 12, 12. Go there, find it. I want us to read it all out loud together. Are you ready? For the Holy Spirit will teach you in the very hour that you ought to say. What you ought to say. He says that right after the verses that we just read. I want you to acknowledge me. I want you to confess me before men. But what am I going to say before men? You're going to say whatever the Holy Spirit tells you to say. There's not a prescription of what exactly you're supposed to say. It is what God is doing in your life. It's what the Word of God has spoken to you about. Now, again, if you're like me, I'm, I'm a concrete thinker. I'm not really good at the abstract sometimes. I want to know the plan. I talked about this earlier. It's not about the plan. It's about the man. It's not about the presentation. It's about the conversation. And how is it that I can bridge those gaps and be in that dynamic conversation mode and let God morph and shape it, okay? So again, this is just for giggles this week in the sense if it's a training mechanism, that we are turning it today into a training time as much as we are an inspirational message. Hopefully it will inspire you, but more than anything, I hope it trains you. We have been building up to today. We have a few more messages in this pursuit series, but today is where we put the rubber on the road. And so let's talk about what this means to go out and to have this conversation. How do I engage in this conversation? I want you to think of it in the word pursuit, okay? I'm going to make an acrostic, okay? Uh, and this is just mine. This is not, you're going to find this in scripture. I think you're scripture to back each of these, but this is just my little rendition, okay? First of all, the P stands for personal. You've got to personally have a relationship with God. You can't give away something you don't have. If you don't have Jesus, you can't give Jesus away. What does your personal relationship with Jesus look like? How do you nurture it, foster it, develop it? How is it, how is it growing? How is it, how is it becoming? I love the challenge that, that Caleb gave us. What's next for you in your faith? We talk about next steps around here. We try to guide you on, because it's a journey, it's a movement, it's a process that we're going through. I love it in the story here. Kate was telling her story about how she dealt with stress. Notice that was her transition. She used a story moment when he's talking about his stress, she's talking about her stress. Hey, can I tell you about how I have dealt with the stress in my life, the anxiety in my life, the loss in my life? 
She just literally turns that conversation over. And then she starts telling her story. And woven into these circles that we're going to see, woven into these circles is her story that she's unpacking. And so beautifully done in, in a way that we can do it. So when you think about telling your story, think about it in three parts. My life before Christ, how I came to know Christ, and my life since Christ and how Christ has forever changed my life. And if you can break it down like that, you have your God story packaged up right there. You can share it anywhere. I think you ought to be able to share it in 90 seconds. Elevator ride up a, up a building. Uh, a walk across a room with somebody. You can share it in 90 seconds. That's how effective that can be. It's exactly what Paul did. In Acts chapter 26, when he was standing before Roman officials, he told about his life before Christ, how he came to know Christ, and then his life after Christ. So think about it. Make it personal. Number two, unravel. Deal with the unraveling of our world, all right? It's a mess. We are in a hot mess. And sometimes it's not looking any better. And to hide it and kind of Pollyanna it and make it all sound like it's all going to be wonderful once you become a Jesus follower is a lie that you're biting down on that you ought to spit it out. The reality is we're still going to have troubles and we're still living in a broken world. How is it then that I can talk about this world unraveling and God being in control of it all? Think about it in the terms of those circles, if you will. When God designed this world, it was beautiful. It was perfect. It was awesome. He made it with a design, and when he created it, he said every day after every day that he made it, he said, it is good, it is good, it is good. When God made this world, it was good. He put man and woman in a garden, and it was a good. It was a good garden, and they were good people. It was a good earth. Everything was in cosmic order. Enter sin. Sin enters into the scene and jacks everything up. And every since Adam and Eve, every since their children and their grandchildren and their, all the way through all generations, we have been struggling with this because it has led us nowhere but to brokenness. And that brokenness is so real, it breaks apart marriages, it breaks apart hopes and dreams and character, it breaks apart our promises, it breaks apart so many areas of our life. It even breaks our bodies down. God never intended death to be in this world, but it's all pointing back to the brokenness of this world. Enter Jesus. This gospel thing, this thing, I, the word gospel, I sometimes, in fact, most of the time I don't even use it because it's such a Christianese word, but it literally means good news. So in one word, good news, gospel, inner gospel, Jesus comes on the scene. He comes to this earth, he, he lives, he dies, he rises from the grave, he conquers death, hell, and the grave. He gives us new life. How do we enter into this new life? Because we repent and we believe. And when we repent and we believe, we are now in a relationship with him. Jesus Christ becomes the answer, not a answer, not an option, but the answer. John chapter 14, verse 6. Uh, you can go to uh, John chapter 1, verse 12. There's so many verses to this. And in that whole process, at that point forward, we get to enter into a journey to rediscover the purpose, the beauty that God designed in the very beginning. We get to get into this journey to pursue this life that he designed in the very beginning. Now, there's, there's, there's scriptures that go with every one of these, and you can dive into that and you can as much as, as you want, or you can simply tell it on a napkin in front of anybody. 
And this is the story of the gospel. It explains how this world's a hot mess and explains how God has a plan to fix it in the end. And he's going to do it one person at a time. The next one is the relational side. The relational. R is relational. Where I have a relationship with people and those that I have a relationship with, those are the ones that I have equity with. There's relationship equity. I have the right to speak into their life. They have the right to speak into my life. They have the right to call me out when I'm wrong. But notice this in that story, and it's a very real story in that. Kate's dad passes away. But yet Tim realizes and saw something how Kate dealt with death was different than other people dealing with death. And I can tell you right now, having done, I can't tell you how many funerals. How many funerals in my 28 years of ministry? I cannot tell you. I'll do one again this week. I've already, it'll be on Wednesday of this week. I can walk into a room and the difference is literal night and day between when I walk into a room of a believer who passes away versus an unbeliever or a question mark. It's so real. But whenever you have this relational equity, then they're looking into your life. Now, that's scary. Hang on to this. Listen to this. It's a bit scary because they're seeing the hypocrisy that may be in your life. See, the best argument for Christianity and the best argument against against Christianity is the life of a Christian. And so if you're in a relationship with somebody and you start telling about how Jesus changed your life and Jesus hasn't changed your life because they can call you out, there's some hypocrisy going on in your life. Deal with it. The S stands for Savior. Keep it about Jesus. They might want to make it about Republicans and Democrats. Keep it about Jesus. They may want to make it about the Samaritan woman. She wanted to make it about which mountain do we worship on, the Samaritan mountain or the the Jewish mountain? Jesus quickly blew past it, didn't even deal with it. He says, it's not going to be there. It's not going to be here. It's not going to be anywhere. It's going to be about those who worship me in spirit and truth. And then he comes back and says, hey, by the way, I'm the Messiah. Don't chase rabbits down rabbit holes. He mentioned there the LGBT community. He mentioned there about uh, about the scandals that are going on in the church. These are very real issues. There's, There's a lot of right and wrong with some of this stuff that's going on. Don't chase it. Get back to Jesus. Get back to Jesus. Let Jesus do the cleaning up. It's our job to do the loving and embracing and walking with them as he changes the people around us. U stands for urgent. Do we really believe the urgency of what we're about? Do we really believe John 3.16? Do we really believe John 3.16? I would say most, if not everyone in this room would believe John 3.16. We talked about that a few weeks ago. But if you believe John 3.16 is true of some people, do you believe John 3.18 is true of other people. If you don't know the difference between the two, go read them. John 3.18 says that there are those who are condemned and then those who believe. And those who are condemned are condemned already. But those who believe, they become children of God. I said in the Roman series that we did back several months ago, everybody is either a Roman 7 person or they're a Romans 8 person. And the difference is massive. If you're a Roman 7 person, you're still caught up in the vortex of living in a life of brokenness. If you're a Romans 8 person, you're Romans 8, 1. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You're set free. You're set free. If we really believe it, 
We cannot keep that to ourselves. We are alive for at least five. We've been talking about that. You may be alive for 25. That God has put in your life, people. He's put in your life. He's put you on this earth. He's put you in Northwest Arkansas. He's put you at your job. You may hate your job and hate your boss and hate everything about it, but God has put you there and he's put you there for this time and season to be light and life to those you live, work, and learn and play with. John Wesley said it like this, with God's help, do all the good you can by all the means you can in all the ways you can in all the places you can all the time you can to all the people you can as long as you can so that hopefully they will come to a relationship with Jesus Christ. Letter I is intentional. There's an intentionality about this. You don't wait for people to come to you. You don't wait for these interactions to come. Jesus went to the Samaritan woman. Okay? Jesus went to Andrew. Jesus went to Philip. He went to these people. He calls them to follow him. There is a, I am going to them. Those people on my list, my Alive for Five list, guess what? They have a day of the week for five days out of the week that I am praying intently for them. There's a time in my prayer time every day for five days of the week that I pray for this person. And when I pray for that person, I'm not spending seconds praying for them. I'm praying for them for minutes And I'm praying that God would be real. I'm praying for everything about them, their health, their well-being. I'm praying for their soul. God, chase them down. God, do not let them run free. God, pursue them. I'm praying as fervently as I can because I believe. that. And I'm looking for those opportunities to be a part of that conversation. And then lastly, the letter T stands for today. Today. Who are you going to share with? I don't know. Open the eyes. Tomorrow is tomorrow. Today is today. But you're living in today and you only have today. And so in this day, who will you share with? Now, in a few hours, less than 12 hours, pretty soon tomorrow will become today. You know how that works. And you're going to get up and you're going to get dressed up and you're going to get cleaned up and you're going to go out to your job and your place where you live, work, learn, play. And you're going to do what you do all the time with all the people that you do all the time with. Who today and who tomorrow will you share Jesus with? Someone plowed through the journals of John Wesley and a great man of faith, a great man of God who ended up leading in the founding of the Methodist church movement and um, told countless people about Jesus and uh, spent some time even as a professor at at, um, at uh, Cambridge, Oxford University. This person was 250 years removed from John Wesley being a professor at this university and was sitting in the library having access to his journals, looking at his handwriting, his sermons, his journals. And she did not go in with the presupposition that this is what she was looking for. It just began to jump off the page. But one day led into another day, led into another day. And day after day, whether it be in the beginning of his journal entry or at the end of his journal entry or in the middle of his journal entry, he would say these words, I offered Christ to people 
I offered Christ to people today. I offered Christ to people today. I offered Christ to people today. He lived his life as if the number one thing he was about, the most consistent thing that he was about, was that every day he offered Christ to people. That is a person who knows what it means to live sent. This is a day of training. I hope that through this message that you're challenged to go, okay, where do I go from here? But not just where do I go from here, who do I go to from here so that I can share Christ with them?